Greetings, everyone. This is V, a.k.a. Vernon English. Hello. How are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast of Hearing Colors to Kill Sounds, where there is nothing normal in any way, shape, or form with what once you thought was up is inevitably something completely sideways, like the movie, there's wine, there's backcountry for California. No, I'm joking. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, thank you guys for listening. Please hit the subscribe button. I'm feeling silly today. This day is going to be amazing. And thank you guys for listening. Um, thank you to the new listeners. Thank you to the current listeners. I have many, 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 many stories. And I'm going to briefly go over the next one. As in, I will have another installment later uh, this day. And we're basically in the second book, which is The Seeds of the Time Before Time. And it's a really collaborative, uh, meaty project that I did uh, in Venice, uh, California. The thing that I love most about the story was that I never incorporated what I saw into my story. I always wanted to twist something. The best analogy that I can give someone would be uh, as a music producer uh, looking at a track or looking at a piece of a track that you like and you see it musically and symphonically and you take that piece and then you warp it into something else and it totally becomes unrecognizable to the original content. And that's not as to just cover one's tracks but it's to pay homage to what the material that you got it from. And I mentioned before that I was influenced by the early 90s, I'm from the 80s, and I used to watch these cartoons which were wildly, I don't even know how they allowed us to watch cartoons back like that in the day, but uh, Pirates of Dark Water was a prolific series and it was probably only like seven episodes, but it influenced me so much just in the commercials and then the show in itself and the storyline and the characters they were unlike anything I had ever seen before and I had seen just about every cartoon that was on television and you can tease me till I'm blue in the face but I will never be ashamed of being a nerd I'm so apologetically sorry to my elders if they look down on that. <laughs> I, there, there is no regret in looking into the, the intricacies of how my brain works and was inspired. The show in itself was surrounded by these three characters. And if I can remember correctly, if I'm as if I'm not sitting in front of the internet, these three characters travel to find these, what would you call treasures of Rue, I believe. Treasures of Rue, or whatever it was that they called the the planet. And the big thing for me was how they portrayed everyone in the story compared to the Pirates of Dark Water or just the Dark Water in itself. And the Dark Water was a character. It really literally had no ultimate or ulterior motive but just to stand in someone's way and 
it wasn't just as if it was like a kid and you imagine the floor being lava and then literally the lava just going in and taking everything. It was really something more than that. It, it was a history behind it, but they could only explain it in like 20 minutes, which I thought was quite entertaining for a kid back in 1993 when this was released. Wow. Okay, so it's Ren, R-E-N, and then you have Tula, and then you have another character by the name of Ayaz. So you have these characters, and I'm looking at this now. You have Ren, you have Ayaz, you have Tula, and then you have Nibbler. And the main villain was Bloth. And he's trying to find the 13 treasures of rule and to find what happened to his kingdom. And for me, it's one of the most inspirational things that I had ever seen in my life. And it was only like eight episodes or even, yeah, I think that was it. And it first aired in 1991, that's crazy. And I remember being a kid, being way, 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 way back in the 90s. I was probably like four or five or six. And looking at this and looking forward to waking up on a Saturday morning and watching this show that I knew nothing about, absolutely nothing. Now, in this day and age, it's a complete change of reference because obviously kids don't know the importance of waking up on any day and looking at something and not expecting to see it again. They can obviously record it, you can record it on your phone, you can record anything, TiVo, and then have it be accessible or find it on Netflix or find it on someplace else. But back in the day, back when I was young, eh, now I sound like I'm older than how I am, but <laughs> it was an interesting interpretation because you had to literally wake up in the morning to watch this show that only came on once a week. If not, those what three to four times a month and it would never come on again and I thought that was magical I thought that was interesting I thought it was crazy insane but I love that aspect and, and I wanted to incorporate that into the story and so literally I, I borrowed the name Ayaz and put him in the story as the right hand man to Renzo not so much Rin but Renzo and these characters are reminiscent of their counterparts from this show in skin color, not so much in temperament and how the characters look. I love the aspect of having characters that are of color just so that I, as a man of color, have something to identify with as well. It's one thing where I was younger and this isn't so much like a psychological or philosophical thing, but when you see certain characters on television or you see the Green Lantern on television and it's the John, I believe, interpretation where he's the black guy. And let me tell you something as far as characters go and the importance of seeing something that looks like you. There were a few characters that I thought looked like me, and there were few and far in between that I can count on my hand, one hand, of things that I identified with when I was younger. And 
that was the basis of this story in itself of me designing the refugees and no when i think of refugees no i do not think of people from a different country that are african-american or whatever or any lineage for that matter all wrapped in swaddling clothes all with their feet out and stuff like this that's not generally how these characters were designed these characters were designed with lavish things with clothes tattered obviously having been battling bandits and other things over an extended period of time with them waking up but I wanted them to have some sense of pride even still having lost their memories and lost certain things uh, from the bandits and, and that was to pay homage to these characters it was never anything that was contrived uh, I love designing them and, and Ayaz and Renzo were the leaders and so they're basically placing all of this weight from the people that they're with on their shoulders and taking them along on this journey and, and they go up to the top of this mountain and they're like okay well what's the next step they are surprised to see a floating island a floating island that just perchance per may be in their dreams and they're tripping so they're like okay well I would give anything to go on that island <laughs> in their heads and literally would give anything to to bathe on its shores and I literally put that in the words but that's only the beginning and that's only a segue because then a light beam shines off of the island and I'll read a few pieces from the next installment but it literally is something from like Star Trek where Scotty beams people up and, and the beam of light that shines on them goes to their hands. And it's not just something that you, you would think of as a light beam or a laser is the best description that I can give someone because it literally is something not from this world. And obviously to think of something and then you have someone speaking to you in your mind. And that one is the one that trips me out. And then I get to add on to it. And so this is the Floating Isles Part 3. And, and, and so they hear the voice in their head. And the voice speaks to each and every person, all the refugees at once. And so it says, Renzo stumbled for a nanoclick. And nanoclick is basically a, a span of time, which is completely different from our own. And I never explain it. And was he dreaming? Was he sick? Renzo stumbled for a nanoclick. Was he dreaming? Was he sick? Hearing voices in his mind, he glanced over his shoulders. Ayaz's nose was scrunched, a sorrowful barometer to the otherworldly mood. His face was always in a bunch. Renzo joked that Ayaz looked like his pastimes should have been chewing boulders. No, no time for Jess. Not when his gut lay at the base of the mountain where the dead who reaped their own secrets to unknown past. I asked a question. Can none of you speak? I inquired cordially, a voice of the mind lewd to synchronize. The refugees were surrounded by all sides from beings with mechanical wings. Their eyes looked sordidly gatekeepers to mortuary. Okay, so basically where the last story left off, and then I'll leave you guys with this as a cliffhanger. It basically states, or basically what's happening is the scene is they they look over into the distance okay so imagine yourself as a refugee 
war torn, ref got bandits messing with you from all sides. They're coming back, and so you're like, all right, anything is better than here. Anything is better than death at the base of this mountain. And so they leave without water, without food, without anything, thinking of anything that's better. Anything is better, literally. And so they, they leave and trek on this this march to a place they do not even know. It could inevitably be their end. And this is what they're thinking when they see these beings from the floating island come over. The floating island, and I described it in the last installment, is insanely elaborate. And I could only go into it so much that I would need another installment on this to, to explain it to you. But the way that I design the, the characters, it looked like something from the 1930s slash uh, science fiction add-on or something like this or after-school special where their heads are literally animal heads but it's encased with armor and so it looks almost as if they were carrying I don't know an extra thousand pounds but they're flowing as if it is weightless and, and they're speaking to all of the refugees on the top of the hill in their minds so if you like X-Men or if you like any Marvel scene, they're, they're communicating telepathically. And the refugees are flipped out. Obviously, if you don't know anything in this world, and obviously the, the little things can flip you out, but this one in particular would have people foaming at the mouth or completely flabbergasted that something otherworldly can exist in their world. And, and that's where this story begins, and, and that's where I'll leave you for today. Just imagining that, and, and then I'll update you. But the floating island itself is insane. Like, I came up with the idea yesterday while I was thinking about the podcast that I wanted to make. And, and it's literally a light city on top of the city. And so if you have a projector or you have a giant projected light the the second part of the city can be seen over the said city and it's not purgatory it's not heaven it's something quite technologically in elaborate and, and intricate where the city has the, the the skyline it has these light filaments that perpetuate people and when they go or touch any of the parts of the light they become the pieces of the light and their whole consistency and their whole uh, what would you call density changes to the density of the light that they touched and so when the light of being shines on the people from the mountain they literally dematerialize if, if using Star Trek and then they shoot off and become that piece of light and they literally just disappear and if anyone if you were me, and if you were yourself, and you had not expected any of these things, you would probably be flipped out. And that's where the story begins. And that's where I wanted it to have a, a sense of, okay, that's a frame of reference. That's all you get for today. And thank you guys for listening. This is just the beginning. I'll explain the rest later on. Hit the subscribe button. Let me know if you like these weird, awkward scenarios and stories, science fiction. I have more, but I'll explain the second part of the, the Floating Isles Part 3 later. 
and, and thank you so much. Thank you guys for responding. Hit the subscribe button. Let someone else know about it. Be like, dude, this every day this guy comes with weird stories, and I kind of like it. So thank you. This is V, aka Vernon English. Peace, peace.